0: Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to Brennan Tassif is your ex-drinking buddy. I am your host, Brennan Tassif. It is Tuesday night. Recording this for Wednesday's release. Just kind of hanging out at the house. Didn't really do very much today. Recorded uh, Cheers from the Press Box, my sports podcast, with the very talented Joe Dorville. Did that yesterday. Watched a... A little bit of football. I feel kind of like a fraud because I record a sports podcast because I love sports, but I work doubles on Sundays at the restaurant, so I don't really get to watch too much of it, so it's weird to record a podcast, basically going off of highlights on ESPN.com and then looking up stats. You know, I played football for a long time. How hard can it really be? It's not that difficult. To talk about it. I hope everyone has a great week. This week. I hope everyone's week is going well so far. Still trying to get my bearings on the podcast thing. Still trying to figure out how to get this going. I was supposed to have a guest on today. I was supposed to have Marcus Crespo with us. We we're going to tell some drinking stories. And uh, he's got a couple funny stories about getting messed up on edibles. Which he'll share with us next week. Couldn't do it this week, though. I thought it'd be easy to do the uh, dual microphone thing. Apparently, this stuff's a lot harder than I had assumed. So it's weird, because growing up, I'm 32. So I'm of that age where, growing up, my parents made me do all the technical stuff in the house. And I'm sure there are a lot of people out there who are like this. So I was young enough to understand how... Like to hook up the DVD player or the VHS player or the cable box. Stuff like that. Like the hardwire stuff. But I'm old enough to where some of this other shit gets confusing. Like coding and input outputs on computers and microphones and mixers and all that kind of stuff. So I had two microphones and I had the ports for them. So I figured how hard could it be just to hook up both microphones and apparently it's very difficult. (laughs) It's a lot harder than I thought it would be. Um, I didn't have the right mixers and then I use a program on my laptop to record the audio. But if I want to record the audio for two microphones, I need to like plug them into the same port. And then I, it's, it was, it was incredibly frustrating. So then I went on Amazon, I watched a couple YouTube videos, On how to do it. And there was one really good one. I I wish I remembered the name. But I I don't have it. But then I went on Amazon. And just looked it up. All the equipment that they had talked about. And I got everything that I needed. But Then I ended up dropping. About $400 on everything. And I even applied for the Amazon card. Because I could save a bunch of money. But I didn't get it. So, so much for rebuilding my credit. But <clears throat> anyway, so coming up probably next week or the week after, we're gonna start having guests. Sound quality's gonna be a lot better too, hopefully, if um, all this stuff works as well as they say it does. I'm Still trying to figure out how to mix it. You guys are with me on an adventure. I'm doing this all freelance. I'm doing this all just by the seat of my pants. I don't know how to really work audio program yet i'm still trying to figure out how to blend and mix and everything like that so i know it's kind of echoey and the sound quality is not great but we're gonna get there the only reason i'm really recording these podcasts just by myself is like i said last week because i talk to myself a lot so i figured i might as well just record it but also because this is good practice for me so eventually when my girlfriend and I do get up to New York City and I start doing comedy and people ask about the podcast, by then it should be a well-oiled machine. The only way I can get better at it is by doing it. You know, I'm not going to get better by thinking about it or watching YouTube videos about it or talking about it. Got to be about it, baby. Got to be about it. Don't talk about it. Be about it. So, yeah, the equipment's on the way. Like I said, should be enough equipment I've got cords and mics and cables and mixers and everything like that on the way so hopefully by next week it'll all be here I'll figure out how to sync everything up and then can start having some guests on you know we call it Brendan Tassif is your ex-drinking buddy because I wanted to have some of my buddies on to talk about their old drinking stories and party stories and stuff but it doesn't really work when I'm just talking about my stories it's just because as interesting as my stories are to me, I don't know if they're really that interesting to everybody else. Plus, it's a good marketing tool to have other people on. I've been promoting a lot of my uh, my uh, sports podcasts. I feel like I'm just spamming people. and But I feel like, I mean, my girlfriend is telling me I'm just spamming people when I post about it. So I've yeah, done some listens, though. That's cool. It's really weird to hear yourself... On a podcast because anyone can set it up and just send it out to uh, Apple. I had there's a very very funny uh, comic in Jacksonville named Daisy Tackett and uh, I was telling her I was so excited because I was like yeah I finally set everything up and I you know I got the RSS feed and I got the podcast going and as soon as I said it to her her face kind of changed and she looks right at me and she goes don't tell anybody else you're doing that. And I said, what do you mean? She goes, everyone has a podcast. It's so annoying. Don't tell anybody about it. So that's why these first few aren't going to get a whole lot of listens because I'm not really promoting this one. This is going to be, these first few episodes are going to be like little hidden gems. If anything ever happens in my comedy career, where people can go back and look at them or listen to them. But yeah, she, I mean, she was right. I want to get her on the show, though. because She's got some funny stories. She was a division one athlete as well. So I want to get her on the show. I want to talk to her about some of those stories. Hopefully she'll do it, though. She seemed kind of adverse to the idea, but I'm hoping I can talk her into it. Had a weird week so far. I still work those two restaurant jobs. Ah, I comedy. Well, comedy's dead right now, but it's starting to get back there. But it's not paying enough for me to not work a normal job. And that's bizarre. I like working in restaurants, though, because even though I've got... I went to college and everything, but I just couldn't... I could never work in an office. Anybody works in an office, my hat's off to you. I did it for three months. I had gained about 30 pounds in three months, and it was just driving me insane. Because they say nine to five, but then when I like got hired and everything was done, they're like, well, it's more like eight to six. And I was like, well, what do you mean? And they go... Well, we're going to pay you for, for 40 hours a week, but you get like an hour lunch break. You can take a 15-minute break like every three hours. So really, if you want to get your full eight hours, you got to be here around 8, 8.15. Then you got to stay till about 6. And I was like, oh, well, what if I just don't take any breaks? And they're like, oh, well, then that's fine. Well, come to find out, they wire your work day around 8 to 6. So it's, it, it, where I was, it was kind of like, well, you're still like taking calls at 5, 5.15, 5.30 because they assume you're going to take those breaks during the day. I don't even know if they assume. They just think, well, if you don't take the breaks, you're still going to work till 6. And I just I couldn't do that. I was like, this is crazy, especially for the money that you make. So I know we talked about it last week about that table that didn't tip. I got stiffed again. This past week, and it's so funny when it happens because a lot of times it's tables telling you how awesome you are, you know, how great of a job you did, and then they don't leave you anything. It's called a verbal tip. Um, You know, it's very common in the restaurant industry, but it's just weird because I can't call my electric company and say, hey, I don't have the money this week, but my table 27 did say I was the best server they ever had. So, you know, how about cutting me a break? Like it doesn't work like that. But it does happen. Um, It is incredibly frustrating when it happens. But, you know, that's just life. The girlfriend's in the other room. She is watching Netflix and reading her book. So I'm trying to be a little quieter. I don't like to yell so much when she's home because it makes me feel awkward. But yeah, comedy's coming back. Did a show on Saturday. Uh, So about five days ago, four days ago. Which went really well. So I think I mentioned it last week. I did that show in Dayton where I bombed in front of my family. Flew two planes there. Had a layover in Charlotte in the middle of a pandemic. An American does not care right now about the pandemic. I shouldn't say that. they. So they've got everyone wearing the masks on the plane. But there is no like every other seat. I talked to my dad and he said that they flew Delta a few weeks ago. And it's every other seat and, you know, they're real courteous about everything. And I fly, I'm, you know, I fly, I try to, I like to fly on the bigger airlines because I think, you know, they're going to have their stuff together more. I still take Spirit and Frontier and all those like kind of, you know, not as awesome ones because uh, they're cheaper. But since I've got miles and everything now, I was like, oh, I'll take the, I'll, I'll fly the nicer airline, or not even nicer, just the one that I, I know of more. And it was, it was brutal. So you fly the, the, the more well-known airlines because you feel like you get more benefits. You know, there's free Wi-Fi and then there's, you know, ser- drink service. And sometimes there's food services. The flight's long enough and the planes are nicer because the tickets are more expensive. And that was not the case. So with everything going on, there's no amenities really at all. You do get the Wi-Fi, which is cool. So you get access to the, the... TV and stuff on your phone through them. But other than that, there was no drink service. You know, they were trying to make people check their bags, um, which is a fee. So that was kind of crazy. But anyway, I was doing newer material this past Saturday. So like I said last week at the show in Dayton, I tried my old set that I'm super comfortable with that I've been doing for years and years. Because I was like, oh, well, this is a, a brand new spot I've never done before. These are all people who've never seen me perform before, except my mom. But the last time she saw me, she was drinking with my sister. So I don't even remember. I don't even think she remembers my set. So I was like, I'll just do some of this older material that I'm super comfortable with. And we'll see how it goes. And um, I bombed horrifically. So fast forward a few weeks. Now I'm doing another show in uh, Jacksonville where I live at Veterans United. And I'm thinking, well, I'm not going to do old material again. Like, I struck out with it a couple weeks ago, so I'm not going to do it again. So I tried a bunch of new stuff, and it actually worked out real well. Um, Some of the jokes people got, and it went over real well. Some of them kind of fell flat, but that's what happens with new things. Um, But all in all, it was a great set. I've been told many times that I'm a little intense on stage, which is understandable, if you know me. You know that I'm pretty intense. And so sometimes it doesn't go so well because the problem is these people don't know you. Um, They don't know your personality. They don't know kind of your sense of humor. And so then when you get up there and try and do it, you know, you'll talk about things that you think are funny. And a lot of times you'll get not, I mean, I get because I'm not a very great comic. I'm not a very good comic. A lot of times I get these blank stares. Of people kind of being like nervous that I'm going to, you know, massacre the whole room or something. Not with jokes, like literally massacre the whole room. <laughs> but it actually went real well. So that that's good. A problem with the whole COVID thing right now. I mean, there's a ton of problems. But the one thing I've noticed is that our shows are few and far between now. Because it's a lot of outdoor venues or socially distant venues. And a lot of the bars and stuff we used to perform at just aren't open right now so we're having trouble actually finding venues to perform and when we find venues a lot of times they'll book a lot of the you know the local comics on it but then they you know you're not going to get booked again the next week so it turns into this game where you're doing like one show every like three weeks so before we were doing three or four shows a week You know, and a lot of it was open mics and stuff, but it's a great way to test out new material and things like that. And now it's transformed into this weird one show every three weeks. So, I mean, I record every set, but it's one of those things where even if you record every set and listen back to it, it's going to be different people, a different crowd. It's a lot harder to get the flow of jokes, too. Because a lot of times I'll try jokes three or four times before I'm actually like we'll work it into a set list for a showcase or a show that I'm headlining or something like that, and you just can't do that right now. You kind of just have to trust the once or twice that you've done it. I'm sure that'll start to ease up soon. I'm in Florida, so Ron DeSantos is kind of playing it fast and loose. I mean, he opened everything up, Was that, like three months ago? It was like three months. Yeah, it's been about six months. So it was three months into the pandemic, he reopened everything, and then we got... A massive influx of positive cases so then he shut everything back down but I remember when he first reopened everything for about a week or two like a bunch of bars had reopened comedy had started back up and then boom it was all shut down again so who knows I don't know I don't want to get too political but it's just one of those things where I'm sure after the election we'll start to kind of figure out what's going on I, I don't know though I, I hear people saying it's A big conspiracy which is frustrating to me because like the whole world shut down you know the whole world isn't in on on this conspiracy like it's not a big conspiracy to burn donald trump it doesn't make any sense why would the whole world care about that um i mean i guess they would for specific reasons but i don't think they care enough to all band together for a giant underground conspiracy my favorite thing though to be honest with you my favorite thing is when a person that gets it they go back into like their social media feeds and it says how it's a hoax and it's a big lie and that you know it's created by the dems to try and you know thwart donald trump and then they get it and they end up in the hospital (laughs) that's like my favorite thing i know i'm not supposed to say that but that is kind of like my favorite thing in the whole wide world anyway Let's get off that kind of stuff. Let's not talk about that stuff. I had a weird thing happen to me at the gym today. Um I do go to the gym a lot and I don't know why I'm I mean I do know why it's cuz the way I look, but I'm always perceived as like this bro like this super bro bro guy. So I was there and I was talking to a friend of well, I wouldn't even call him a friend. I was talking to this guy that I know. Um I wouldn't say we're workout buddies, but we kind of, you know, we go around the same time every day. So we always see each other and say hey and stuff. And I don't understand why, but he always wants to bro down with me. He always wants to be like, oh, man, check that chick out. She's so hot, blah, blah, blah. And that's incredibly uncomfortable for me. Um, I didn't have a lot of male influences in my life, so I don't really like it when dudes talk like that. It's just like really awkward and weird for me because I, I grew up with my sisters and my mom for the most part, you know, I was, I spent time at my dad's house too, but him and I didn't really talk too much when I was a kid. So it's a lot of, uh, female influences in my life. So when I go to the gym, because I, you know, I work out six days a week and I'm there all the time. And I think it's because I used to play football and that guys think I'm like a bro, <clears throat> like one of those bro, bro guys. So they always want to have these conversations with me. And I don't even know what to say to them. Like I don't know how to respond. I kind of just do that weird thing where I like kind of awkwardly smile and walk away. Because I don't know what to say. I mean, I guess what I really should do is I should say something like, hey, that's not cool. Or dude, I don't want to talk about that kind of stuff. Or I'm just here to work out. But I'm such an awkward person that I don't do that. I just kind of go, huh, yeah, and I walk away. Because I don't want to hear, especially when you post all these pictures on social media of you with your girlfriend. And then every time I see you at the gym, you're talking about wanting to have sex with every girl that you see. Like, that's just weird, man. That's awkward. I don't, this isn't the first time this has happened. This happens to me constantly. I went to a private gym during the quarantine because every other gym was shut down. So I found this private gym where this guy, the owner was like, I'm not shutting down. Like I built this entire gym from scratch, like with my life savings, I'm not shutting down and losing my business, which I mean, you know, more power to him. If you're following all the protocols and trying to keep everyone safe, do what you want, I guess. And I didn't want to, you know, stop working out because I have super duper body issues like most people. So I um, started going to his gym. And every day, it was the same thing. Like, I, I go in, I put my hood up on my uh, hoodie, and I put my headphones in because I don't want to talk to anybody. I'm not approachable. I don't want to be approachable in life. Just leave me alone. And so that's how I go into the gym. But every time, you like, wave me over to, like, chit-chat. And it was always about, you know, the hottest girls in the classes. And, oh, my God, I was with this bitch last night. And I'm like, dude, like. Inappropriate, inappropriate gym place topic. I don't understand where that mentality comes from. I don't know if it's because I grew up in locker rooms. Like, people can't say it's locker room talk because I grew up in locker rooms. Maybe it is, and I just never associated with those people or really just didn't talk to them very often. Or I guess I just really didn't talk about that kind of stuff. Because whenever people say stuff like that, it always reminds I always just think of, like, what if. Like, my sisters walked into the gym and people talked about them like that. Like, plus, it doesn't matter if you have sisters or a wife or a mom. Well, like, doesn't, that doesn't matter. Like, you shouldn't talk about another human being like that. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. I'm not trying to be all super duper woke because I am not at all. In fact, I get in trouble all the time because I think I'm woke enough to say certain things and I'm definitely not. I get in trouble a lot because I talk to people like I talk to people not in a rude way, but like if I think something's funny, I say it. And then a lot of times people are like, you can't, you're not allowed to say that. And I'm always like, but it's funny. And they go, yeah, but it's inappropriate or it's offensive. And I'm always just like, yeah, but it's funny. And it's weird. The people who get, I know this has been beaten into the ground, but the people who get the most mad are never the people That I'm talking to about a specific thing, it's always people around us that hear me. Like, I've got a a good friend of mine, Will Blaylock. He's a comedian in Jacksonville and he's he's a black dude. And a lot of times, if I have a joke that has to deal with race, I'll run it by him just to make sure, like, I don't, I don't, because I genuinely, I don't want to offend anybody. When I get on stage, just to try and make people laugh, and even if it's to laugh at uncomfortable things, it's to make people laugh. That's why I talk about a lot of the stories in my past about uh, my masochism and hurting myself and self-mutilation and going to rehab. I talk about all that stuff because I'm trying to show people that there's humor in it. And all these bad things happened to me and I did all these bad things to myself. But we can laugh about it. And that's my whole intention is to make people laugh at you know things that may be perceived as traumatic or uncomfortable. So sometimes if I have a joke and race is involved in the joke, I'll run it by him. And every single time, Up to this point, he's always like, no, man, that's good. Like, he Sometimes, most of the time, he won't say it's funny because I'm not a very good comedian, but he'll at least be like, no, you can definitely say that. And then I'll say it on stage and certain demographics in the room laugh at it and then there's other ones who don't laugh. And then there's a lot of times people who come up to me after the show and they'll say, you can't say that. You're not allowed to say that. That's racist or that's sexist or that's homophobic or whatever. And they're always the people that has nothing to do with the joke. Like, it's not them that would even be the people who were, quote unquote, attacked in the bit. It's not them at all. But for some reason, they feel like they have to take it on. Like, my twin sister's this way. She is, like, my joke police. Like, she comes up to me. um, If I put something online or something like that, or if I'm just, like, joking around with her when I'm coming to visit... She'll be like, "Oh, you? Well, that's you know. Even if that's funny, you can't say that on stage." And I'm like, "What are you talking about?" Yes, I can. She's like, "Oh, no, 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 no. That's this. That's offensive, or that's that's inappropriate, or something like that." And I'm like, "Who are you?" Like my twin sister used to be the most like offend not a the most offensive. God, I can't believe I could not find that word. She used to be like the most offensive person I knew, and now. Like, she gets so angry about that kind of stuff. And I think it's because she lives in this echo chamber. Um, And I've told this to her, so if she hears this, she'll already know. But it's this weird echo chamber when you kind of find your circles. And I'm guilty of it, too, because I, I live in an echo chamber. But it's an echo chamber of a lot of comics and people like that. So we're always... You know, we don't really get offended, but it's one of those weird things where, I mean, it happens to me. Like there's certain things that uh, people will say around me and I'm kind of like, well, I don't agree with that, but I don't say anything. I just keep it to myself. But I think she's in this situation, which happens to a lot of people where a lot of your Facebook friends and the people you follow on social media and the people you interact with on a daily basis are people you agree with and you get along with. For the most part. And if you don't, then you block them or you mute them or, you know, you just unfriend them. So it becomes the situation where everything you're seeing is agreeing with you and your beliefs. And then all of a sudden it turns into the situation where obviously you would feel right. Obviously, you'd feel 100% empowered because everything you see makes is basically saying, yeah. You are right. You are empowered. People shouldn't say stuff like that or people shouldn't do those kind of things. So then all of a sudden when somebody does something that you find offensive or unwarranted, you're like, no, you're not allowed to do that. You can't do that. I think that happens to a lot of people, to be honest with you, because I've been in situations where people are in this kind of weird bubble where nothing offends them. Like I said, with like comics and stuff like that. So then they'll just say the most heinous things. And most of the time they say it as a joke. I mean, I think every time they say it as a joke, but they say these things because they, you know, they think like, oh, we'll get a laugh out of it. Then most of the time it is funny, but there are certain things that they'll say. And I'm kind of like, I don't even know. I like, I wouldn't even say that kind of stuff. And I'm the most like, I don't give a shit kind of comic, but I wouldn't even say that kind of stuff. That's not true. I shouldn't say I'm one of those comics who just doesn't care about what I say because I don't talk about sex on stage. I don't talk about. I try not to curse so much on stage, and it's just weird because it's not out of. It's not like out of a need to be clean. I don't think. It's more out of this weird, like I want, I want my you know uncle or my grandma or my dad or someone to listen to my set and not be like, oh, that's aggressive. Plus, I'm a real big believer in not going after the low-hanging fruit, which sucks because there are so many times where I get on stage and I'm like, Oh, if I just told this story about the one time I got caught masturbating when I was 15, I could get this whole room on my side and laughing for the most part. But I don't do it. like, I don't want to do it because it's just it seems so obvious I don't like going for the obvious joke. But the problem with that is obviously I just said obvious a lot. But the problem with that is if you don't do that, then a lot of times your stories or jokes or whatever can go over somebody's head and they'll go over the whole room's head sometimes, which has happened um quite a bit. I've definitely done that. Like I said when I did that show in Dayton, my brother, who's a very intelligent guy, you know, went to Cornell for his PhD and everything. He was the only one laughing at a lot of my bits, which to me is fine because that's the kind of person I would want to laugh at my bits. You know, an intelligent person with, you know, an open mind who's very kind of understanding of the world around him. That's kind of where I would like my jokes to land. But then at the same time, you feel like garbage when you're looking out onto this crowd and there's one person dying laughing and everyone else is kind of just staring at you that's not a fun feeling either that's the other thing about all these shows being so spaced out and so far away um when you bomb like i did a few weeks ago i guess a month ago now it sits with you for the longest time like before i could literally bomb at a show early in the night And then go out to another, do another show and everything, you know, do well. And then boom, you forget about it or the reverse, you know, you do well at a show at the beginning of the night and then you go out and maybe you bomb at a different one, but then you have two shows the next day or, you know, three shows coming up that weekend. So you don't even like, it doesn't even stick with you. You just keep moving forward. But now with COVID and a lot of these venues being closed down for a while, you're just kind of stuck in it you just kind of have to sit in it and that is not fun at all i did want to talk to you guys about some other stuff always you can always email me brennan tassif at brennan comedy.com check out the website i worked real hard on it um not too hard i just i worked a little bit hard on it uh but yeah email me in if you want to tell me about your drinking stories um Do have that one interesting story? I touched on it last week about spending twenty six thousand dollars in twenty eight days. I guess I'll tell that story in actual detail now to kind of close out the podcast. Like I said, these will probably we're going to try and run these about an hour, hour and a half. uh, Once I start getting guests in here and stuff, and I just want to get more comfortable with the audience. And once I kind of feel you guys out and uh, see where you're at, we're gonna we're gonna keep moving forward. Like I said, these are going to be kind of the bonus episodes. The undiscovered episodes, because no one's gonna listen to these first few until I start getting guests on and things like that. But um, yeah, so I was in South Florida, like we talked about last time. I got the, my first DUI when I was 21, and um, from then on, I was riding a bike everywhere. And I was going to school at FAU. Go Owls! Ooh. And I was I lived like six miles away from campus, so I just bike in. This is at the time this is when I discovered the after disaster, which is a really good podcast. Um, so I would listen to them as I biked in and uh, they're actually still around, which is crazy. Shouts out to Anderson Cowan, Mike Carano and Tyler White, Ty, Ty, Ty heads. But uh, I was biking and I would bike on the sidewalk cause there's a lot of transplants from up North, like New York and New Jersey and stuff in South Florida. And they do not care when they're driving, you know, it's, They kind of drive like, it's your responsibility to look for us because you're a pedestrian or you're on a bicycle and you could die. We'll be fine. Um, So I would tend to drive on the sidewalk just to make things a little safer. And I know that's not technically the legal thing to do on a bicycle. You're supposed to drive in the street. You're supposed to, you know, you're considered a a moving motorized vehicle. But I was on the sidewalk and I stopped, um, waiting for the light to turn, the little crosswalk guy. So then the light turns green, crosswalk guy says go. So I start pedaling across the crosswalk and this guy comes whipping around the corner about 20 miles an hour um, to make a right turn, doesn't see me going through the crosswalk and just nailed me. And I'm on my bicycle, so I flew up onto his hood and I was kind of like, I was in pain, but after, you know, I played football for so long, my adrenaline kind of kicked in and my reaction was like, just get up. Like, you know, what the coaches always would say to you when you get hit real hard, just get up, get up. So I was kinda trying to get back up and I tell a condensed version of the story on stage, but it's true what happened next was people just started honking and yelling at me to get out of the road, even though I was just hit by a car. So I kinda I kinda get up. The guy doesn't even get out of his car. Um is just kinda staring at me. So I kinda get up and I put my bike to the side of the road and I kind of walked back around to him and I was like, well, what, what was that? And I felt my heart ached when the guy rolled down his window. It was like an 82 year old guy. I felt so bad for him because he looked terrified. He looked so scared about what had just happened. And I was like, well, I need your information. I need your information. And so he just pulled out his license and I took a picture of it with my camera phone And then this other, this pedestrian from across the street came running over and was like, Hey, I saw the whole thing. Are you okay? Are you okay? And I was like, yeah, I think I'm okay. I'm not sure though. And so he gave me his number and he's like, if you need me to be a witness, I'll be a witness. That's crazy. That guy didn't even look when he made that right turn. I'll be a witness. And I was like, all right, well, thanks, man. And then everything just kind of continued on. But then like I was trying to walk back to my bike and I, my back was kind of like twinged and I was like, Oh, what's, what's going on in my, my left knee where I got hit was starting to hurt. And then my head was starting to hurt as the adrenaline was wearing off. And I was like, Oh no, like this might actually be bad. And I don't know if I still have health insurance. So I called one of my roommates. He took me to the hospital. X-rays came back negative, but the doctors were like, Oh no, you probably have, you know, at least a, a, a strain on your, um, your knee joint i think it was my um the doctor had said like my acl or my mcl and they're like we don't know what's going on with your back nothing's broken broken but we can't really look at your spine with x-rays you have to get uh, an mri for that kind of stuff so i was like oh no so i called my roommates they came and got me and took me home and i took the night off from work and i was talking to a buddy of mine from college and he goes well my dad, or excuse me, my stepdad got into an accident a few months ago. He got rear-ended by somebody. So his buddy's a lawyer. So um, I'm going to give you his number. I was like, okay, that's that seems fair. Just because I don't know what the medical bills are going to be and stuff. So just in case. And this dude was the shadiest something out of the movie. Like something out of a Scorsese movie with De Niro. He, uh, I called him, left a message. um He showed up to, I left a message and said, hey, my name is Brennan. This, you know, I live in Deerfield Beach. Um, I'm friends with, and I mentioned my buddy's name. This dude showed up to my house like an hour and a half later. I can't remember if he called or not before. I think he might've gotten my address from my buddy, but showed up like slick back, greasy hair, like super Italian. Like, hey, how you doing today? You know, my name is Danny. We're going to handle this whole situation for you. Don't even worry about it. He's like, you're not going to talk to the cops. You're not going to talk to the insurance companies. If your mom calls to ask you what happened, you don't even talk to her about it. You talk to me and I talk to everybody. Okay, you got it? And I was like, all right, man, cool. He goes, we just want you to focus on getting better. You just need to try to get better. So um, I called work, told him I wasn't going to be able to work for a while. Um, I mean, to their credit, they set up the MRI and... Um, the chiropractor or not chiropractor, the MRI and the, um, physical therapy and all that kind of stuff. They set it up within like a day. So I was just going like, they'd set up transport for me. Cause I wasn't driving obviously cause of the DUI and I couldn't really do very much. So I got the MRI. Apparently I had a, a real messed up back. Um, I had a, Partial tear on my MCL, and then I had a pretty bad concussion from the accident, um, which I could tell because I'd gotten concussed a lot in football, so I, I could tell that I had a concussion. Um, so then, um, they sent me a letter saying, uh, or not a letter, they called me. This is months later now. They'd called me and they said, "Hey, so the insurance company wants to settle out of court." And I said, "Okay, what does that mean?" They go, "Well, they want to settle for three thousand dollars." And I was like, my one MRI was 4,000. They're like, yeah, this is how they're going to do it. Is they're going to try and lowball you to see what they can get away with. And they were like, well, we can't tell you what you should or shouldn't do. But what we can not as your lawyer, I can advise you to not take this deal, but I can't tell you what to do. So I said no. And this went back and forth for like two years. And then finally, about year and a half maybe two years later at this point I'm you know I'm done with school I'm living back in Palm Coast I think at the time at my mom's house Uh, no I had just left Palm Coast so I I moved when I finished school I moved back in with my mom I was there for like two months and I just I was drinking too much and I just you know we'll get into that kind of stuff later but I was drinking a lot at the time because I wasn't you know in school anymore and I wasn't playing football and I was working in a restaurant so I was just getting drunk every single day and so they had called me um, then I, so I couldn't stay with my mom very much cause she was getting sick of it and I didn't want to be there. So then I moved to Daytona and I was staying with a friend of mine on a blow up, um, chair, not even a blow up mattress. It was a blow up chair. I wasn't really working and I was just kind of living by the seat of my pants. Anyway, I got a call from my mom and she said, Hey, we got a of cert- no, no, no. Before that, I got a call from my lawyer and they said, Hey, listen, um now they want to settle and so it's gone back and forth it was like 3000 then 8000 then 10000 then they called me and they were like hey a year and a half later they want to settle they're willing to settle for 45000 and i said well what does that mean and they said well after all the dust settles you'll probably get a check for around 30 grand um, they'll cover all the medical that doesn't include the medical they'll cover all that too um but this is their final offer. They said. They said, if you don't take this, then we're gonna go to trial. And the problem, or not the problem, but the way that can be messed up is, my lawyer told me that they've gone to trial before, and the jury thought they were helping this lady out and settled on like ten grand, when the insurance company had already offered her like a hundred grand. But once you go to trial, like that's it. Like you have to take the judgment. So he was like, you're a young guy. You're a relatively healthy guy. You know, you played college football, so they're going to say that that's where your injuries are from, not from the accident. Um, he goes, you could go to trial and get nothing. You could go to trial and get ten grand. You could go to trial and get a $1,000,000. Like, it's really not, we really cannot say. So at least if you don't go to trial and you take the settlement, you'll get the guaranteed money. Like, you'll get this because that's what they're settling on. And my first thought was like, okay, that's fine. But then now years later, the more I think about it, I'm kind of like, well, my back is still messed up to this day. Like, and that's from that accident. Like I didn't have back problems like this when I was playing football or anything. Like that's from that accident. And it's just one of those things where I wonder if I would have gone to trial, if I would have gotten more. But it works out the way it works out. So then we settle. Now fast forward back again. I'm living in Daytona at a friend's house. And I get a call from my mom and she's like, hey, I have a a certified check here for you. I have a certified letter from your law firm. I think it's your check. She called me on a Saturday and I said, you need to bring that to me right now. And it was a Saturday. And I had arranged because I knew I was getting the settlement check. I had arranged to move into an apartment it's so like a three-bedroom apartment in downtown Daytona where it's all businesses. There are no apartments, but these people that a friend of a friend owned a business and above the business was a three-bedroom apartment. So I had made arrangements as soon as I got my check to move in there. So that Saturday I called them and I said, hey, I'm going to meet you at the apartment to get the keys. My mom's going to bring me my check. We're going to get this all squared away. And they were like, okay, that's fine. So I met my mom outside of that apartment in downtown Daytona And she showed up. I even told her, I was like, I'll give you $100 if you bring that check to me right now. Because it's like a 30-minute drive from where she was. So she drove down and brought it to me, brought me some of my furniture and stuff in the truck because I had just gotten this new apartment. And my landlady was there and she gave me the keys and she's just like, yeah, you know, next week after you cash the check, just bring us the rent. And the smartest thing I did was I paid them for six months of rent all up front. I was just like they were like oh it's going to be a $1000 a month and I was like oh I'll give you like I'll just give you the 6000. I think I gave him 4000. I think I paid him for 4 months rent. And they were like okay that's fine you won't have to pay the deposit if you just give it to us all up front. And I was like all right cool. So um that Saturday I moved into that apartment, my mom brought me the check and then she left and I thought like well you can't you can't use that money when it's just as a check. So what I did was I um, took the Votran, which is the Volusia County Transportation. It's the bus. I took a city bus with a check for, it ended up being $26,000 and change. I took the city bus to um, an Amscot, which is a, a like a check and go, a check cashing place. I took a $26,000 check in my pocket on a city bus to an Amscot. And I got there and I just slammed it down on the table and I said, let me get my money. I'm rich. <laughs> and um, the lady kind of looked at me crazy, but then she saw that I was serious and she was like, well, we can't cash this here. Like, We don't have this kind of money just laying around. This isn't a federal reserve. This isn't a bank. Um, she goes, so we keep the maximum money we can give uh, to one person is three grand. And then we take a percentage of the check itself when it's this big. So it ended up I got 19 money orders. They gave me 3 grand and then they kept $2600 cuz they took like 10% of the check. Um but I didn't care. I just wanted the money cuz you know I'm drinking and doing drugs and stuff at the time. So I was just like, "I ah, just give me the money." So then that happened and then I called a cab service cuz this was before Uber and Lyft. So I called you know, this is almost 10 years ago, this is 8 years ago now. So I called a cab service and the driver picked me up. His name was Dane. And he looked like a chubbier version of uh, Tormund Giants Bane from uh, Game of Thrones, the red haired guy. Um, just like a chubbier version of that. And I said, Hey, Dane, how about this? How about how much money do you make in a day? And he said, Around 100, 200 bucks. And I said, Well, how about I give you 300 and you just hang out with me all day? And at this point, it's like five, five, five o'clock, six o'clock at night. And he's like, Yeah, man, hell yeah, let's do that. So now I've got the three grand in my pocket and then all these money orders. So then I I went to Walmart, spent like $2,500 at Walmart on TVs and Xboxes and like little bits of furniture, like a nightstand and all this kind of stuff. Then we stopped at the liquor store on the way home. I bought a bunch of booze. And I remember I was working at this time. Now I was working for a friend of mine, the friend of the friend who got me the apartment. I was working for him. And it was a Saturday, so I still had all day Sunday. So then I got home, and I just started drinking, and then I was hanging out with Dane, and then I think we went to like a strip club or something that night, and I have basically run through almost all of this $3,000 in cash that I had. So Sunday rolls around, and I've still got, you know, 20 grand in money orders, 19 grand in money orders. So I'm like, I'm not going to work. I don't have to go to work ever again. So this is day two, and I'm already like $3,000 down. Um... And then Monday came around and my boss came to pick me up. And I just didn't answer the door. Like I didn't answer his text. I didn't answer the door when he got there. Um, he knew the owners obviously of the apartment. So he just went downstairs and had them open the door and then came in. And I was like super hungover, passed out in my bed. And he's like, what are you doing, man? Like it's time to go to work. And I was like, no, nah, man, I, I'm not going. He's like, what do you mean you're not going? I was like, I'm done. I'm not going. And he goes, what are you talking about? And I was like, no, nah, I think I'm just done. And he was kind of pissed off and he was just like, all right, man, whatever. And he left. And then that day was a Monday. So then I went to the bank and I deposited the rest of the money orders into the bank. But then they gave me this BS about like, oh, well, it's going to take two or three days to process. And I was like, well, they're money orders. Like, can I have it now? Like a money order is as good as cash. And they're like, no, it doesn't work that way because of the amount. We're going to have to wait. So I took two of the money orders. And went back to Amscot. And I was like, hey, can I exchange these for cash since they're Amscot money orders? And they did. But again, had to pay 10% of those out. But then I had enough cash to last me the next couple of days while the other stuff processed. And then I would just go to the strip club every like couple of days. I'd go there. I'd change out like $500 in cash. And I would just throw it up in the air. And like, you know, almost to announce I'd arrived. I remember one of the Sundays... I went to the Oyster Pub bar on Seabreeze, and a friend of mine that I played with in college, Alfred Morris, was playing for the Redskins. It was his, or excuse me, the Washington football team. It was his first game. He was a rookie running back drafted in the sixth round. And I remember yelling to the whole bar, if he scores a touchdown, I'm going to buy a shot for everybody. And he scored a touchdown, and I got the tab, and it was like $927. And I was just doing stuff like that. So the money literally lasted me 28 days. And then at the end, I remember because I had paid my cell phone bill and I paid a couple bills. And then the next month when I went to pay my cell phone bill again, I checked my bank account and it was negative. And I just remember being like, how is that possible? How did I spend $26,000 in under a month? But I mean, you know, it's crazy how addiction can take you kind of down that road. I just... I couldn't stop drinking. I was drinking like every day and I just couldn't slow down. And it was, it was nuts. And that's not even when I went to rehab. That amount of money in that short amount of time was not even what drove me to rehab. <laughs> I, um, so I'd only been in that apartment for a month. And then I was like, I can't be in Daytona anymore. I'd burnt so many bridges and I had alienated so many people. Um, cause I was just like, I would, like drink day drink at my apartment all day long. And then I would like go downstairs to the business and like try and like hang out. And the owner of the business whom I was renting the apartment from was like, you can't like just come down here wasted and like just chill with us. Like that's not allowed. And like, I didn't really have a whole lot of friends. I didn't spend any of that money to get my DUI taken care of. So I didn't have any transportation. Like when I ran out of money, I couldn't go anywhere anymore. Um, unless like I took the bus or something. So I was just kind of stuck. And so I I was talking to my cousin who was living in Oklahoma city at the time and he was doing comedy up there. And he was, he's kind of a laid back kind of guy. He was just like, yeah, why don't you just come up here and live with me? Like me and my girlfriend don't get along too well. Like I'm sleeping in the other room anyway. Like it's not a big deal. Like you can just come It'd be nice to have someone to hang out with. So I went to talk to my landlord and I was like, hey, I've only been in this apartment for about a month, month and a half, not even. No, about a month. This is like a week or so later. And I was like, yeah, I've only been in this apartment a little over a month, um, but I'm planning on moving. I'm like, how about we do this? How about all this furniture and stuff I have in the apartment you can keep? So then you can re- release it as a fully furnished apartment, keep one month of rent as my um, like deposit or whatever, and then just give me the, the other like two grand. And they were like, no, it doesn't work that way. We didn't make you pay a deposit because, you know, you were giving it to us all up front. So how about this? You know, where are you going? And I said, I'm going to Oklahoma City. They said, how about this? We'll buy you a plane ticket for Oklahoma City. And, um, you know, we'll pay for the plane ticket. We'll pay for a check bag and everything. And then we'll give you like $200 um, cash for when you get up there, you can have some spending money. And then that, that'll just be, then it'll just be finished. And I was like, all right, fine, whatever. So I ended up doing that. And then I went up to Oklahoma. And then it was about two, two or three months after I moved up there that I ended up go, I finally went to rehab. But that was a, that was a crazy time. It's weird. I don't know if anybody ever goes through life thinking back, like, how did I even get here? Like, I know how I got from like being a kid to here. But if you really think back on like specific dates and times it's so bizarre because it's like i think about college constantly like i lived off campus after my sophomore year it's like how did i even have the money to pay rent every month like i was so bad i'm still so bad with money like i just oh my god it creeps me out to think back on that kind of stuff anyway i hope you guys enjoyed that story when i tell it on stage it's much more emphatic I just don't want to yell because my girlfriend's in the other room, and I know she's listening to me, and I know when I walk out of here, she's going to be like, ugh, what was that? That was such a terrible podcast. Like, is that all you do, is talk about, like, yourself? It's like, yeah, well, that's the way it works right now. Bleacher Report has the Baltimore Ravens as the number one team in the NFL. I can't believe that. I do not agree with that. I think the Green Bay Packers should be fourth. Yeah, I do agree with that. That's that's good. Let's see where the Jags are. You can listen to my sports podcast with Joe Dorville. Cheers from the press box, as I've already plugged a bunch of times. Um, I'm just looking through this article by Bleacher Report right now. Jets are the worst team in the NFL, according to them. Panthers, Bengals, Lions... Giants, look at us getting some respect. I remember when the season started, they had us at thirty-two. The Jacksonville Jaguars. If you don't know him, a Jaguars fan. Look at us. We got we got all the way up to twenty-fourth. What the heck? Lost to Tennessee. We barely lost to Tennessee. That's horseshit. I don't believe that at all. Oh man, what is this? What is this? They have the. they have the Washington football team ahead of us. They have the Eagles ahead of us. This is garbage. The Vikings. Ugh. This is terrible. This is terrible. This is just terrible. I don't agree with that at all. Like I said, I'm trying to do like a Bill Burr style where I rant by myself, but it's hard because I don't have a ton of listeners, and I don't know what you guys want to hear about. I can tell you war stories about drinking till I'm blue in the face, but I don't know if anybody cares. Or even wants to hear that kind of stuff. The $26,000 in 28 days, though, is something I say. Like I say, I say a condensed version of that on stage. And people never laugh too much during it. But it's one of those stories where people come up to me after shows and have come up to me at different shows and been like, oh, you never tell that story anymore. I love that story. But it's one of those almost like you just kind of have to listen to it and pay attention to it versus um, laugh at it, I guess. Which is another problem with some of the comedy that I do. It's not comedy. It's more like a fucking TED Talk. Where it's like, no, just listen, man. Just pay attention, man. The Steelers at five. I do not agree with that at all. They barely beat Denver. One of the worst teams in the NFL. Green Bay Packers at four. I do agree with that. Aaron Rodgers is, is big mad, as they say. Oh, man. Baltimore Ravens number one. That's crazy. Anyway. So, this is the podcast. Like I said, new equipment will be here soon. Brennan Tassif is your ex-drinking buddy. Email me at Brennan Tassif at com If you want me to talk about anything specific or if you want to share a drinking story, I'll read it on the air. Um, The AEW is on the top banner for the CNN Bleacher Report page. That's cool. I just really like that because I... I know Tony, I said last week, he used to be one of my regulars when I worked at steakhouse down here in Jacksonville. So that's really cool to see the AEW getting some respect. They're putting some spec on their name. Love that. Love that. Anyway, hopefully we'll have some more interesting stories. And like I said, moving forward, I'm going to get um, some definitely some local Jacksonville comics on here. We're going to use them uh, to fill some content we will have some good stories uh we'll have them uh share some stories if you have any questions for the great and powerful marcus crespo he'll be here next week hopefully all my equipment will be here by then and i don't know just let me know if there's anything i can do for you Brennan t comedy on all social media BrennanTComedy.com. Uh, i hope you enjoyed it like i said these are going to be lost episodes that no one's going to find I'd be shocked if I had one or two listens to any of these. Um, and until next week, cheers.